Welcome to episode 13 of the Game Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Thompson. Here with me are a couple of platinum pros, Michael Majors and Andrew Brown. I'm a lowly gold-level pro. And last weekend was a modern Grand Prix in Indianapolis, one of my favorite cities to visit. Uh, I think Majors... <laughs> really? What? I hated it Whoa. there. Beautiful segue. Oh, man, you're, you're, saying, you're saying it the wrong place. Oh, my gosh. that it, like I never want to go back to Indianapolis. It was it was dreadful. The, the tournament is kind of like in, on the south side of Indy. What you want to do is stay on the northeast side, and hotels are really cheap, really nice. Uh, you have Ale Emporium and Giordano's and Kalachi Factory, and then you kind of need a car you know, to get to the site or whatever, but you could Uber, I'm sure. But, man, good good food. And the tournaments are always fine, you know. Pastimes is not great, but I heard they stepped their game up for this one. Yeah, it definitely was ran pretty well. It went by really fast, but uh, it was raining and eighty degrees out at the same time, and it was humid, and I just wanted to die. It was the worst. That's that's a impressive combination. I'm used to like seventy two, sunny, no humidity. I hated it. Lack of a better word. Man, I'm sorry. I love okay. Indy. Next time Here we go, go to Indy, Andrew, you're staying with me. All right, fine. You also just suggested a bunch of restaurants that are just like built around bread. So like, <laughs> not really enjoy those. No, you can eat wings, right? Uh, not if they're nah. breaded. I'll have to do some research, but Herm- Hermanaki wings are great. Anyway, I believe. Uh, it. So yeah, I love indie, but I didn't go because mm. I'm kind of a bum. Andrew was actually the only one that did go, which is nice. I think uh, it, it's kind of evening out for like the amount of tournaments that each of us skip. So that's cool. Well, it's just I don't go to the I just don't go to the opens, you know. No, I know, I know. I, I mean, and, I I try to go to every Grand Prix in in the in the U.S. Though, yeah. Well, you you played ad nauseum. Tell us about that. Deck's great. I really love playing it. It's a lot of fun. I went a stellar ten and five. Not that stellar. With with three buys, right? With three, yeah. So I went seven and five. <laughs> oh come on! And, and when you put it that way, it doesn't sound great. But you probably would have won those first three rounds. You know, I'm just gonna I'm gonna give you that one. Uh. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, uh, I had a fun tournament. I did get a little unlucky with some of my spoils. I killed myself from 18, killed myself with a cut with an ad nauseum. You know, it's just some a series of unfortunate events. My Malira p- opponent had infinite life. I played spoils, exiled my laboratory maniac, and then lost. Some interesting things happened, but uh, overall, I thought my deck was pretty good. I really like um, my Lingering Souls sideboard. Uh, that was great. So yeah. I have a couple questions. So Karsten did the math on spoils, and the math didn't look that bad. But mm-hmm. I also feel like spoils is this card that is basically there to make you like way more consistent. It helps against like disruption decks and also just the really fast decks, right? Yeah. But it like is the format in a place where you actually want to play the spoils version. Now, two ways you can go about it. Just not play it at all, right? Mm-hmm. And then I saw one that had Bring the Light instead, which seems not great, but he had eight like unlife angels graces too so he had like eight of each combo piece the nice thing about spoils is you can actually just cycle it sometimes because you have a lot you have like the temples and the serum visions if you are in a matchup where you don't really need it so like you can just like scry on top play back cycle it but i know you know, in a lot of situations like on turn four when your lotus bloom comes off you can just play a fourth land and then you have seven mana so then you can do like spoils for whatever piece you need angels grace ad nauseum 
but obviously there's the life cost so like depending on the matchup if it's non-interactive then i like spoils more but if there's heavier interaction the spoils version is definitely worse or not okay. worse i wouldn't say it's just a uh, more risky okay so i know you liked your Dramokas and your Grave Titans. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if this was the same Bring the Light guy or not. I think it might have been, but he had Souls and Crovax. Yeah. I've seen the Crovax tech. Uh, it's like Crovax, Ascendant Evancar. There's also Elishnorn as a possibility, which is pretty sweet. My only problem with those, like when your Bloom comes off on turn four, it's kind of rare that you actually like have an untapped land. Because you have like all these Seacrum Coasts, Dark Slick Shores, and Temples. So like your actual untapped sources on four are not as prevalent as your other ones. So Yeah, but you did just say that like, you know, you can like spoils Ad Nauseam Angel's Grace yeah. potentially on seven. So Yeah, I mean you can definitely set up set up that situation. Or you just use like a spirit guide or whatever. Yeah, the it's just the sixes are a little more consistent. Is Crovax the planner chaos legend that it, it's is- ascendant hero? Yeah. The one that bounced out your, to your hand for paying two life? Michael, where else would it bounce to? <laughs> you don't have to be a jerk about it. No, I, I have a really good story about bouncing your hand. I'll tell you guys off <laughs> off stream. No, maybe I'll tell it at the end. This is a fun story. So remind me to tell the story at the end. That card's so sweet. I remember that one. It is sweet. Other white creatures get plus one, plus one. Non-white creatures get minus one, minus one. Pay two life. Return Crovax Ascendant Hero to your hand. It's four dub dub for a four four legend. Not to be confused with the Ascendant Evan Car, which is the the black version, six mana three three flying black things get plus one plus one, non black gets minus one minus one. But yeah, pretty sweet. I, I do feel like there are a lot of things that you would want to kill with Crovax that are actually white though. But it does pump your lingering souls, which I think is sweet. Yeah, so I, th- I think Bring the Light as a card is pretty mopey, but it was in- an interesting take where dude just had way more combo pieces, and I thought that was kind of cool because while the mat on spoils is like, okay, you're a favorite, uh, it definitely sucks when you're in those game three situations and it's just like, you know, that's the time it's going to fail you during the tournament, right? So You kind of sign up for that when you, like, register the deck, too, like... You, oh, you I have, know. I'm, I'm just merely suggesting that there might be a way to build it where you don't actually have to sign up for that risk. Because it's like, how do you win like 15 rounds? How do you go like 15 and two when you have this like 80% or this thing that's like 80% or whatever to like get you there? But like 20% of the time you just lose a game. You do have to get lucky to win a mad tournament of Magic the Gathering. So I guess th- those are my thoughts about that. Sure. But so in my mind, and this this might be like, you know, going down the rabbit hole or whatever. I feel like I would rather pick and choose the spots where luck affects me, where it's like, oh, maybe I miss a land drop or whatever, but it doesn't cause me to lose the game immediately. Sure. You know, I'm sure I'm sure during any point in any game, you can look at something and just be like, oh, I got unlucky here or I got lucky here. But like, it's not necessarily game deciding. I, I've played it for so long that like it, it is the deck that I feel most comfortable with. And like it's modern. There are like so many like nuanced interactions that like, you can also just lose a game by not understanding like how one of your cards interacts with one of your opponent's cards. So like in the future, you know, if like something changes, I can definitely like switch decks or whatever. But for, for now, I'll stay on the Ad Nas train. It's a pretty fun okay. train too. If you haven't yeah. played the deck, it's a lot of fun to play. It's not magic, right? It's just different. Also like modern is like, it's not a format that I enjoy too much. So let's bring, let's bring the most disrespectful deck to modern. <laughs> sure. I think just killing myself with spoils would annoy the crap out of me, and I would never play that deck. So, a while back, I built this deck on Magic Online when Beck Call came out, where I was, like, trying to play this, like, Bant card with Kaldatha Rebirth and 
Genesis Chamber and just all this nonsense, right? Okay. And I was like, man, I really want more Bex, you know, because it's like my deck can't win unless I draw this card. So I put spoils in it. And apparently at that time, like spoils for split cards was broken. So mm. I bought I bought all the cards for this deck. And then like one of the games, I had like four mana on turn three or whatever because of Mox Opal. And I was like, all right, spoils for my card. And then just killed me. Yeah, that that happens. <laughs> uh, and I was like, man, this is stupid. <laughs> I just it's, didn't recognize the fact that you could get a split card with it. At the time, you could only spoils for Beck or Call. Mm-hmm. And it just, like, never found one of those in my deck. So it just, like, showed my opponent my deck, and then I was at negative 50 or whatever. <laughs> well, that's not very fun. Yeah. Screw spoils. Yeah, did well. Did some just, like, play uh, Plunge in a Darkness, or did I just make that up? No, Plunge is good. That's 1B instant, pay X life, look at the top X. I mean, but I've seen it, people also playing, like, Anticipate, too, which... Uh... I mean, that's that's fine. It doesn't actually get you there. There's, like... The, the theory of, like, oh, like, all all of my cantrips will hopefully get me to my combo, but sometimes that doesn't work, you know? So you're just, like, playing the raw tutor and hoping it doesn't kill you. Yeah. I've spoils for Temple of Deceit in, in, a, in a bad spot before. <laughs> yeah, that's legit. Demonic Consultation was a hell of a card. We should get that one back. Uh, which one is that? Majors, have you ever played with that card? Uh, in, um, uh, in five color. You remember that? Okay, nice, nice. So it's it's B instance. This is an Ice Age uncommon, I believe. Name a card, exile the top six cards, and then exile cards from the top of your deck until you hit that card. Okay. And put it in your hand. So this was really good in decks with Necropotence, and it was the best tutor in Illusions Donate and stuff. So. Ah. Uh. Uh, but like also just fair decks played it, like Counter Sliver played it. Wow. Counter spells just- and slivers in the same deck. Oh yeah, man. Dude, you need to do some research. Extended, like, circa 2000 was the best format of all time. Huh. Did you not know Counter Silver was a thing? No. Oh, okay. It, it kind of exists in Legacy right now. They call it Meat Hooks. <laughs> what? Yes. I don't know, man. If, if you look at, like, Sinew Sliver or whatever, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, Slivers look like Meat Hooks. You didn't know that? <laughs> I, I guess. <laughs> anyway, moving on. You guys want to talk about worlds? Oh, yeah. So, sure. uh, we each have a horse... I mean, Andrew has a few teammates, right? You have JC, Seth, and who else? Uh, that's Anyone? it. That's it? Okay, and we have... We, we don't really... I guess Michael has teammates. He has Brad, Joel, uh, Martin Mueller, and BBD is working with them, but not officially on the team. Yep. Okay, and I have I have no one, basically, but... You, oh, come um, on, you Brad and BBD at the least. Yeah. <laughs> are, you, are, you, are you saying publicly that you're not friends with them? They're, they're both on teams, and I'm not on their team, so it's like, I, I don't really have a horse. You know, I, I simply live, you know, 10 miles away from either of them. That's a well, bond. Way to ruin the mood there, Gerald. <laughs> no, I like them both. I'm, I'm, I have a lot of people that I'm rooting for, for sure, in Worlds, and I think it's going to be pretty interesting. Uh, I've been talking to Brad, like, the last few days, and given... Last few hours... Well, yeah, that too. It was like he, he had the podcast be delayed a little bit because I had to talk him off a ledge. But given given the things that he is saying, I feel like the the format could end up being like very interesting for standard or modern where like, you know, people either show up with like a bunch of weird decks or like a lot of people show up with like a very specific deck that is like not tier one just because like it seems well positioned and everyone figures it out. Or it just looks like a normal format. Maybe there's like 20 band companies or something it's like it's gonna be a weird tournament i think yeah definitely yeah, these uh small man like sort of uh inbred you know who's coming tournaments um definitely bring out a lot of weird stuff like uh 
to like remember where Reduke played like boggles to the finals. Like just weird stuff like that can slip through the cracks and like just be the best deck in the room. Yeah, or like, dear God, can shout to just break modern again, please. I, I've seen the Eureka flowchart of what they perceive people to be playing, and it's pretty funny to say the least. Oh yeah. man, can I see that after the after the episode? After they submit decklist, sure. Well, they submit <laughs> decklist tonight, right? Because today's Tuesday. No, no, it's uh, tomorrow afternoon. I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay. yeah, I think that's true too. Anyway, so it's it's going to be wild. It is definitely not a regular tournament where you can just look at it and be like, oh, you know, like, you know, Band Company's the best deck because 25% of people played it and it's like 50% of the top eight or whatever. Like, it's going to be weird. Yeah, this is going to be a wild tournament. I'm I'm excited to watch it. Yeah, Worlds produces, like, the best camera matches, I think, because just every round, it's someone awesome playing in someone awesome and uh, they generally know what's going on with, like, their decks and... Past the first round, I believe, they have their opponent's deck list, too. So it's like they get to play with perfect information, which I think is really sweet. Yeah, first first round of the event type, or the format type, rather. Yes, yes, sorry. So yeah, it's going to be really cool. I have my kind of dark horse pick. I think Andrews is JC. Why why would it ever be that? (laughs) Because you told us before we started the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay, yes, my dark horse pick is JC. Because I've been testing with him, he's one of my best friends, and I think he's great at magic and teamwork. Dude, do you do you have any fun like JC facts? Because I feel like a lot of people there there might be a lot of people that are like JC. Who the hell is that? But uh, he won Pro Tour Gate Crash. Yes, Oath of the Gate Watch. Tom or, Martell yeah, sorry, won Pro sorry. Tour Gate Crash. <laughs> G- yeah. Gary always has Gate Crash on the mind. I wonder why. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, I wonder gate why. Watch Gate Crash. It's the same thing, man. Wait, uh-huh. dude, did you top eight that pro tour? I did, <laughs> and I honestly don't even think about it that much. Oh, okay. All right. Wow, that was a weird little Freudian slip, I guess. <laughs> I, I have done this multiple times. Yeah. Anyway. I can, I can see that uh, happening. Dude, tell us about JC, man. You know, just like pretty quiet dude overall, but you know, we just like play magic every day from like 6 p.m. to like 1 a.m., He's not one to, you know, like talk anything up or he's very like reserved in his uh, judgments, never really like super excited about anything. But uh, I I definitely know he's really excited about this one. And uh, I believe in him. I believe. I do too, to be fair. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think he's a great deck builder. Like he built Blue Rattle Drazi. He built that Abzan Planeswalkers deck. He's he's got a lot of crazy ideas. And uh, he, oh, funny stories. Is this the PTQ story? No, this is not the PTQ story. This mm-hmm. is, um, so a- as most of you know, I really love playing limited. JC also really loves playing limited. And our third teammate for our limited team is, uh, my roommate, Eugene. So Eugene's really good at limited. Uh, about a year ago, I like walked into Eugene's room and I was like, man, Eugene, I think I'm, I think I'm better at constructed than limited. And he's like, man, I'm really glad you figured that out. And then, uh, recently, uh, after JC kept doing well at the pro tours in constructed and doing poorly in limited, he also came to that same realization. And after that, I think we all improved once we realized that. So understanding what you're better at, I guess. I don't know where I was going with that, but that was a story. I think I understand wholeheartedly that I'm better at constructed than limited, but that doesn't make me improve. I mean, <laughs> you, you don't play too much limited, though. <laughs> I don't. It is tough to get better at something when you just don't do it. Yeah. So pro, pro tip right there. I, I have watched a lot of your uh, limited matches, majors. It's fun. And you're you're saying I suck. 
I'm not saying you suck. I just think there are. It's just like format knowledge stuff, you know. You're saying I suck. <laughs> All right. How about I? Do Do you want the example? You want an example? Yeah, examples are fun. Okay, so at Shadows, I was watching you. So I saw you get killed by a hinterland logger in game one. And uh, in game two, I see your hand, which is a mulligan to six, which is four lands, Seagraph Scab, the one three for two, and Stormrider Spirit, the flash three three flying. Yeah, and, uh, I, I played my thing on two, didn't I? Yeah, you, you played your thing on two, and then you played a logger, and then you didn't hit on three, and then you died to the logger again. Yeah, that was, that was really bad. That's just yeah. me being stupid. Yeah, but, you know improvement it's what this episode is about right yeah we'll get there eventually you're not really dumb it's it's one of those things where like you do it once and you don't do it again you know yeah as long as you're able to go back and analyze the game and be like oh like this would have dramatically changed the thing so i should have done that because yeah. does does the one point even matter all that much probably not yeah no, no, no. anyway uh michael who is your pick uh martin mueller he is a guy who is on Eureka. He's young. I think he's 18 years old. I, I played against him twice, actually. I didn't know that I played against him the first time, but I played him in the last round of Pro Tour Atlanta two years ago, but didn't realize it was him at the time. So I guess he was like 15, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. And then uh, I played against him in uh, Team Sealed when he was teaming with uh, Martin Dang and Joel Larson when I was playing with Tom Ross and Todd Anderson. He's like very good, but you know, you you know, you get a snapshot and you're like, okay, this this guy's good or whatever. But when you spend two weeks with a person, he's he has it, you know, just that kind of like innate thing where a person can like play really quickly and understand exactly what's going on in the matchup and just like play super well. And obviously, he's like young and he can also build decks. So I think he's definitely a threat. Hmm. Love it. I'll be sure to take him in my fantasy draft. Hopefully, he doesn't continue playing Living End because I know he likes that deck a lot. Whenever I like needed a like hard and fast like i don't know what the word is exactly what i'm looking for but basically basically if i needed like a litmus test on like whether my deck was good against band company or whatever i would just summon martin and play some games yeah because he's not the dude who you know is like rooting for the team deck to win or whatever and he's just gonna like not really try with band company or whatever he just wants to kill you every game yeah he's just gonna like play really well every game no matter what all right jerry who's your who's your dark horse the mox champion Niels? Niels Norlander. Norlander. Okay. Why? Uh, he's just really good. It, it's like kind of similar to a lot of the stuff that Majors was saying, where he, he just kind of has it. Like you play against him and he he's just like very tight aggressive. He is not missing points of damage. He's understanding what's going on in the games, in the matchups. And he's just a threat, man. And I also think that he's just like criminally underrated. Like I think when a lot of people are looking at like, okay, you know, like what are the teams going to show up with, blah, blah, blah. No one thinks of him. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't think of him. Don't yeah. worry, he's included in the flowchart. Oh, um, yeah? Yeah. Huh. That's gas. I mean, I guess I guess it's EU Rico, right? So, like, they know that he exists? Oh, yeah, no, they, they're, they're aware that he is very talented. Okay, nice. I love to hear that. Yeah, because, I mean, the, the Mox was, like, so small and inclusive, and I, I feel like a lot of what happened there kind of just like stayed there, you know, like not a lot of people talked about it. Uh, not a lot of people watched the mocks or anything. Yeah. I, I just feel like him and uh, Mitchell Manders were like the two people that I, I made like the best friends with, I guess, you know, like th those were the kind of like the guys that I was hanging out with outside of like Sigrist. And they're just like two fun dudes that are just hella good at magic. And I played the last round when I was locked for top four against Niels and he beat me. And then, 
watched him kind of outplay like the sneak and show mirror against the sneak and show master, which was kind of sweet. And I was like, man, I hope this guy wins because he's awesome. So yeah, that's it. But I mean, obviously there's like Yuya and Shouta and Owen and Seth and like all these people that are just like stone cold masters. And if, if like that were the top four, I would not be surprised, but uh, I, I always like a good dark horse slash Steve Rubin story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm just really excited to just see like, masters clashing its masters and just whoo it's gonna be samurai great. swords man samurai swords i'm talking about it all right great so moving on <laughs> crux of the episode like standard is kind of dead richmond is happening this weekend for folks on the east coast and majors is going to be in attendance playing his trusty deck and if you want to you know, see what he's up to, definitely read his article. And it's basically just one of the, you know, like, this is this is what I'm playing, this is what I'm doing, try and beat me type of thing. Yep, pretty much. Okay, so that's gas. I'm going to enjoy watching that. <laughs> and as for modern, it's like, yeah, a bunch of stuff is happening. Uh, I think worlds might serve to, like, you know, stabilize the metagame a little bit. Like, if a bunch of people show up with a certain deck, then it's like, okay, well, maybe this deck is actually good. Like, we'll start playing it. Maybe it becomes tier one or whatever. But for the most part, it's, like, kind of in a lull. So... We're just doing a, a general kind of like getting better thing. And I, I feel like in, in general terms, like that is not super exciting. But I, I think that just the, the small habits that uh, you can pick up I, or like, you know, get rid of if they're bad habits. I, I think like optimization is just like a really big part of it and uh, iteration also. And that's that's kind of what this is about. And I really like this stuff. I assume Andrew does too since oh, this yeah. is his idea. So we had the uh, talking about the episode nine was about like talking about the, the the mindset that we have when we like approach magic. With this episode, we're going to get like a little more like in detail rather than just like skimming the surface about like talking about like actual things you can do or you can get rid of to like improve your game bit by bit instead of like the whole long overhaul of like evaluating where you are in like life and magic skill. Like this is more of a... Uh, kind of point and click these are these are some things that you should get rid of or these are some things that you should start doing word all right well t- take us into the the first thing so the first thing is just how to play in a tournament i know it seems like pretty like an, an abstract topic but like you know i learned early on that there are a lot of ways to lose matches in tournament magic that don't even involve magic definitely I learned I should eat breakfast every day and I should be hydrated throughout the weekend and I should actually have like good spirits, be really happy about being there, being happy about playing magic. And another one I want to touch on is definitely like calling a judge anytime uh, you are confused or your opponent is confused or there is a disagreement with you and your opponent because um, definitely sorting that out and finding the best outcome is going to be a net positive for your match in general. I, I would I would like to note as far as elaborating on the judge thing, the more like proactive you are about calling a judge, like especially with card interactions or like board states or whatever, you, sh- you should always just go ahead and err on the side of calling the judge first before like putting yourself in a bad situation. I think there are just a lot of reasons to call a judge and uh, I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to seem like a dick or, you know, this like we're adults here. We can we can figure this out or whatever. But it, it really is better to just get them involved. That's what they're there for. And it, it solves a lot of odd things going on. You know, like the, the judges are there for a reason and they help. And I don't know. We, we kind of talked about this like on on the cheating episode thing where it's just like just call a judge. Like if, if 
people are doing something that warrants them getting a warning or whatever, just like do that so it gets tracked just in case like, you know, this this is a thing that they do habitually or whatever. But even aside from that, it's just, it's helpful. It's nice to be clear. And uh, as, as someone who really likes foreign cards and plays with foreign cards, <laughs> I have to call a lot of judges. And again, this is something I need to fix and I'm working on it. But yeah, you know, like cards are confusing, rules are confusing. Just call a judge, it helps. I, I and, called a judge on my own cards because I was borrowing them from Jerry. That's always fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it is possible, but the floor judge ruling could be wrong. So if you if you feel like that ruling is wrong, you definitely should appeal to the head judge, and it is within your right to do that as well. Like, I think people know that they, like, should be doing this stuff, but it's like, I do think a lot of the reason why they don't is because they don't want to look bad. Like, they, they don't want to seem like they don't know the rules or they don't want to look like a dick or whatever, and that's fine you know, d like get over it. Cause yeah. that, that stuff doesn't matter. Maintaining the integrity of the tournament does matter. Yeah. I mean, these, these rules are in place exactly for when you think the ruling is wrong and you should use them because they exist for that reason. Also going back to that, like you can solve a lot of the, you know, you can, you can lump it all into social awkwardness, I guess, by just like telling your opponent, like, Hey man, I'm, I'm not sure about X, Y, Z. Let's call a judge instead of just like, you know, slamming your your hand into the air and just yelling in your opponent's face judge randomly you know you can just yeah yeah that, that that's so like it i don't know it kind of weirds me out because it's like uh-oh like what's going on and it's like yeah dude just just preface it with something please don't just like <laughs> you know set off alarm bells for no reason as far as like the staying hydrated thing i get that and i definitely agree with that but what, what about the the eating breakfast like is that actually good are there like studies on this that like performance increases if you're well fed or whatever I, I i don't know just reducing the possibilities of like let's say you're really hungry during a match like that could definitely affect your play i don't think being like satiated i don't think that affects your that's actually a positive for you playing your match so like just reducing the amount of weird possibilities that could potentially have you not be completely focused during your match. So here's what I found, and I'm not a scientist, but I, I found that, like, if I say I have, like, you know, I get to double draw in a top eight or whatever, and I'm like, oh, sweet, I have, like, two hours, let's go get some food or whatever, then I, I just, like, I feel satiated, and then I just, like, you know, my mind is working slow, I just want to take a nap or whatever, and maybe this is me just being, like, out of shape or whatever. Like, that might have more to do with it than anything, but... I, I feel like things actually get worse for me when I do have like a full meal as opposed to just like snacking throughout the day. Really? I think the figure is like whatever your natural state is when you're not playing magic is how you should try to maintain your body while you're also playing magic. That is a great way to put it. Yeah, just make it so your body doesn't feel weird, I guess. But I don't know. I, I do feel like more research should be done into stuff like this. And likely there there has been for like other sports and stuff, but like you know, for magic players, we don't think about this stuff all that much. It's it's never like, oh, this is a tactic that we use to like stay on top or whatever. Yeah, I said I also agree with Jerry. Like, I never really like. I don't want to be hungry, obviously, but I never want to feel full either. Sure. I don't know. I I, I kind of like the hungry feeling because it's like, <laughs> I, no, I'm I'm serious. Like, I I don't like it in general. If I, if I like get pangs of hunger, I just like smash something. But at a tournament, it's just like okay, like. My body kind of feels like it's on high alert. I am not going to like go to sleep or, you know, my, my mind is not going to stop working when I'm hungry. So it, I, I feel like, you know, I'm kind of more in the zone at that point. Like my mind stays sharp. That's reasonable. Yeah. But I, I really think that the key is like, you know, just however you feel you perform best in your daily life, you know, 
working or whatever you do, then that's what you should try to emulate while you're playing Magic too. Yeah. Also, getting enough sleep is another big part of it. I've definitely been a culprit of, you know, Saturday night of the Grand Prix. You know, we, we've done well. We, we go get dinner and we have like maybe one or two too many drinks or something. And then, you know, you wake up in the morning, you're not like feeling your best. So definitely just be aware of how you can operate optimally during the tournament. Yeah, that's just feeling great. It, I, feels great. Yeah. Part of it, I would say, is, you know, if, if the tournament is something that you care about or you know that you should care about, then I would try to to make it so you are in optimal fighting form, right? But if it's like you're there to have fun or whatever, and yeah, maybe you did well after day one, but it's like you don't care really, then live your life. We're not going to scold you, but just have good reasons for doing the things that you're doing. Moving on, uh, these, these are some things that I think are pretty important, and I've had to learn and then relearn these things over and over and over again over the course of my career, and my career is 12, 13 years at this point. 14 years, man, I'm old. And it's basically just bad habits. Uh, the first one I really like, and this is about not respecting your opponents. Yeah. I've definitely kind of been a, a champion of this point. Like, you never want to assume your opponent is going to miss something, and you always have to play as to your opponent being smart, knowing what's going on, and playing the best possible against you. And when you do that, you can definitely play better and figure out more about the match so you can learn more and eventually translate that into future matches. That said, you know, sometimes your best chance of winning the game is just hoping your opponent misses something. So I think it kind of goes, you know, it's a a double-edged sword. So I I have one good story about me kind of not respecting my opponent, but it was only after they messed something up. And in order for me to win, they had to continually mess it up. And this, this was at literal... Pro Tour gate crash. <laughs> it was, they had like the one four defender zombie thing where you could sack a creature to give it death touch. So I had a Boros Reckoner. He could have killed that Reckoner any time, but instead I just kept like smashing it into his one four and like picking off his other stuff too. And he just like, in, instead of like sacking it to the thing, I, I just like had to keep killing because he had like, you know, one one flyers or two one flyers or something. And so I, I couldn't even just, like, kill the wall on, like, the one chance I had or whatever. It was just like, you know, I need to keep killing his other stuff, and he kept letting me do it. Uh, so that was pretty sweet. But it was, like, the first time I did it, it's like, obviously, you can't you can't expect your opponent to just miss that, you know? But, like, once they give you an opportunity where they're like, okay, you know, like, I, I did miss this. But, like, a lot of times when someone misses something, they're like, oh, you know, like, I, I just did this. Because they want you to know that, like you know, now they know that they they forgot their trigger or whatever, and they're not going to do it again or whatever. They want you to know that, like, they're not that stupid and they realize that they missed it or whatever. But if, if this guy had just, like, realized it, sat there quietly, and then I, like, tried to do it again and he just got me, I would have lost, you know? So if you do miss something, don't don't bring it up to your opponent because they might just, like, bank on you missing it again. But also, just, like, you don't know your opponent's story. You don't know where they're coming from just because you've never heard of them doesn't mean that they're not good, you know? Like, I, I especially think in, like, the Magic Online age, the digital age, like, it, it is very dangerous to just not respect your opponent and assume that because you've never heard of them, they have no idea what's going on. Because uh, this this kind of ties into my Dark Horse pick for Worlds, for Niels. It's just like, man, I hope he just crushes everyone because that would be so great. Because I, I do think that he's really good, and I think that he's not respected as much because the Mox is kind of a, a fake tournament. I mean, I definitely agree with all those points. Like constructing like a line of play that involves your opponent messing up is just most likely like never like a winning a winning line. 
uh, just from my experience. I mean, there, there are times when that's the only way you can win, right? Well, sure. You, I mean, you might as well do that, but... At that point, you're in dire straits, and that, that becomes your only out. But, like, when, when there are other alternatives, I, would, I always err on never assuming my opponent is missing something or not understanding it fully. Absolutely. And I feel like in my situation, it wasn't like I was just milking that guy with my Reckoner. It was, this is the only way I can win, so I have to keep doing this. I actually really like Jerry's point of, like how a sub game can develop essentially because you know if your opponent is missing something then you can kind of like keep assuming that and like play the game in that manner and, and try to leverage it but like again like if, if you're on the opposing side and you make a mistake then just suck it up that's fine and then if your opponent just like walks into it again then you can actually win the game probably yeah mm-hmm. i have a kind of an interesting story that came from indianapolis that involved me like playing to my outs in terms of your, your opponent not knowing what was going on or whatever? Yes, yes. It's uh, round, round, round six in Indy. Um, my opponent sits down, and he seems relatively new to the scene. Um, he seems excited to be there. Uh, so we, I'm like, all right, great, let's have a good match. You know, he's playing blue-white control with, like, Remand, Manalik, whatever. So I combo him, and I have a Pact of Mitigation, right? And he's like, oh, cool, cool. So uh, can you, like, show me how, how, to, how the combo works? I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, of course. And I, like, exile some spirit guides, lightning storm him, throw some lands at him. And he's like, okay, cool, cool, cool. So go to the next game. You know, it's long, drawn-out game because, like, he has counterspells and stuff. It gets to a situation where, like, he has, like, Gideon Jura out, and I only have seven lands. And it's the end of my turn. My hand is packed, packed ad nauseum. And he he just played a Snapcaster to cycle a Thought Scour, right? So at this point, I'm dead on board next turn. My theoretical out is I play ad nauseum, and I hit, like, an Angel's Grace and, like, another land so I can potentially combo off next turn. But I also prefaced, and when he went for the Thought Scour, I said, well, I think I have to go for it. So I just cast an Ad Nauseum without an Angel's Grace effect. Uh, okay. he, he cast a Dispel targeting my Ad Nauseum. And I'm like, okay, I'll pack him negation that. He's like, all right, I'll remand your Ad Nauseum. And I'm like, okay, I'll pack him negation that. Then he looks at his hand, he looks at the board, and he's like, dang it, you got me. And then scoops. Weird. Yeah. So in that line, I was kind of playing, I, you know, I was theoretically playing to my outs of like, oh, you know, I can draw this, hit this, this and this. But I was also playing towards the, you know, he, he was a little unfamiliar with it. And he also like asked me how the combo worked. So maybe it could work. And uh, and it did work. Well, that's, that's so that just like an good. illustration of like not quitting when you're probably dead. Right. Like, I, I yeah. think that's the takeaway there. You should just try to play the games to their conclusion. My my takeaway is that, like, I know of certain people that would, like, resolve the ad nauseum and just be like, is that game? Or, you know, just, like, try and goad their opponent into conceding, and I hate that stuff. Yeah, definitely not advocating that, but um, definitely the the little flair of guess I'll go for it is, uh, I don't know, a little little weird. Perfectly cast your spells and see what happens. No, I mean, I wasn't intending it to be Bush League. I was intending, like, yo, you know, I have to hit this, like, very awkward sequence of cards. So, like, it is my only out. And uh, I guess he read it as, uh, I'm going for my full combo. Yeah, you you accidentally got him. Yes. So, next topic, not analyzing your defeats properly. Uh, I I feel like that you should analyze your defeats properly. (laughs) Is is that the good answer? That is the good answer. Next topic. (laughs) All right. uh, No, no, no. Let's let's go back. Let's go back. Okay. People sometimes focus on the the incorrect thing, maybe the thing that was like, oh, 
this lightning bolt killed me or whatever, instead of like, well, three turns ago that, you know, you, you attacked with an extra creature that let them get in an extra two damage, like on the crack back. And then you die to like this peeled lightning bolt or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you got to look at the game in, in the, the big picture, you know, start to finish. And it's just like, what could have happened differently along the line uh, the timeline of the game for things to actually come out with a different outcome and not just like being results oriented and being like, oh, well, if I didn't attack with my my thing on this turn or whatever, then I would have won because of X, Y, and Z or whatever. Because it's like you have to still go along the timeline of like you're you're making reasonable plays, plays that you would definitely make, right? Not just like, oh, I should have killed my biggest creature with my sorcery speed removal spell so he didn't act of treason it or whatever mm -hmm. when a game was close. You know, just like weird stuff like that. Yeah, it's basically just like focus on what matters. And in order to do that, you have to be familiar with how to analyze games and figuring out what's important and what matters and stuff. And that's certainly a difficult skill to learn. In the meantime, I would advise against just kind of like chalking things up to things that you think mattered but didn't necessarily matter. Because Peace Ollie says this a lot. And it's if you have ever been wrong before, realize that this might be that time or this might be one of those times, whatever. And yeah, you, you can't just like come to a conclusion and then steadfastly just follow that conclusion. Like, this is it. This is this is reality or whatever. Because it might not be. Yeah, just locking in on something and just being like, oh, you peeled lightning bolt, you got lucky. Like, that's not, that's, that doesn't help anyone. Yeah, it's also really easy to, like, uh, put your defeats on, like, the final turn of the game or the very exciting top deck because it's it's fresh in your mind and it just happened to you. But it, it's it's pretty invisible to see your, like, mistake on, let's say, like, turn three or turn four when the game ends on like turn 27. Um, so like keeping an eye out for like knowing what happened over the course of the game so that you can go back to analyzing it rather than just like focusing on that very exciting moment of, oh, my opponent top decked something or I top decked this thing and that's because I won. You have to be able to, you know, like replay the entire match in your head rather than focusing on like the one big moment where the game turned. Yep, and I, I would also mention that sideboarding is part of this mulliganing is part of this like pre-game stuff like how you built your deck how you drafted or whatever is also just a large part of this yeah. where you know if you if you ended up in the correct colors like they don't want to matter potentially that your opponent peeled on you like three turns in a row to beat you or whatever yeah would you say that this like kind of all is condensed down to like making strategic mistakes versus like technical mistakes well both matter right of course yes but like you know Big picture stuff is kind of more important to like analyze deeply. I think. Would you agree or disagree? Yeah. With that? I see. I would. I would agree because I. I have a. I don't know. I just err on the side of big picture stuff being way more important and certainly relevant long term. But I don't think that there's any fault in a analyzing the the small technical stuff also. I, I certainly agree with that. It's just like if you want to take one game and learn something like important from it, then I think it's more relevant to focus on strategic errors i mean but the it, improving your game as a whole involves both of those things at some point you have to understand that you could be making mistakes on turn three rather than on like turn 12 right i, I agree I, I think that kind of is a, is a strategic error rather than like you know i i mistapped my mana or i could have like attacked with like one more creature because i didn't like do the combat math correctly or you know something like those lines that's just my takeaway from like, you know, like, did I pace the games properly? Did I focus on what matters? Like, I, I usually am focusing more on those things than like, oh, I crap, I like, I missed two damage on this turn. And, and obviously both, both are important, you know, especially if you're trying to like build towards playing, you know, quote unquote perfectly. But like, I, I usually 
get more relevant information, I feel, from, like, paying attention to how the game's played out on a, like, macro sense than a micro sense. Yeah, that, that does make sense. Because, uh, like, the, the small stuff, the, the like, very obvious, like, I, I just missed two points of damage is pretty easy to correct in the future, right? But the other stuff is, like, where you actually learn stuff. So, yeah, what you're saying makes sense. I mean, I, I kind of feel like I'm the exact opposite of you, Michael, because, like, okay. since I have so much time to, like, devote to individual games, I can't really... I, I, I get the most out of just playing repeatedly and then analyzing my mistakes from those games and then translating that into the long-term growth rather than, like, thinking about it long-term first and then translating that into my technical play. I'm, I'm thinking of, like, in tournament settings themselves. Oh, oh sure, okay. Um, I mean, but it's, like, it's an entire process. Like, learning from your testing games, learning from your tournament games can can be the same thing. I think we're kind of all in agreement. Great. Okay, so how do you guys feel about bad beat stories? Hate them. Well, Michael, you love them, right? If anyone has a bad beat, they should go up and tell Michael in a tournament? Uh, no, no, just don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> man it almost worked the love of god don't don't do that <laughs> my take on this might be a little bit different from your guys's but um so I, I i really highly value my state of mind during a tournament and like my general happiness during a tournament because if i'm happier i'm having a good time and i'm more likely to like play better you know so like when you know you're in your little circle of trust or circle of friends and then like somebody walks up and they just like kill the mood kill the mood with like man i got mana screwed i just Oh, man, it's that is the worst to me. I just really, really hate that. Like bringing down everybody's morale at the same time is just not conducive to anything. And please, just just stop doing it. It's instead of saying, oh, I got mana screwed. You could definitely say like to the other point, like, oh, man, I think I could have done something differently on this turn. What would you guys have done? Like, that's definitely a better way to approach your group and tell them that you lost. I guess. Yeah, yeah, I could have done something differently. I could have drawn lands. Sure. <laughs> No, I think, I think uh, there, there's a few points here. Uh, one is holding accountability for your actions. It is not just, you know, I got mana screwed. It was completely out of my control because that's just almost never the case. Uh, second, like people, some people need like to be able to vent and I get that. But at the same time, they got to realize that they're potentially affecting other people negatively. Yeah. And the, the other thing I think is just overall, like the big social aspect of magic where it's like, you are not the protagonist of, of, of this story, you know, like so many people are there and it's like all about them too. And you can't just be like, well, everyone has to listen to my story because like I'm the loudest in this group or whatever. So I just get to like do that because it's like, yeah, I mean, you can do that, but it's like, it's not cool. It's not right. You know, especially if there are people that are going to get brought down by your negativity, you know, it's just like, it's pretty toxic and it's just not fair to everyone else. You know, like if, I feel like if you need to vent or whatever, just like, I don't know, listen to some music or like go running or something real quick in between rounds. Like, don't, don't try and take it out on other people because they don't deserve that. And I also think it really ties in to the last point too. Cause like when you normally like, from my experience, when people just come up and like tell their bad beat stories, it's, it's always about their opponent, like getting lucky. It's always about that 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 moment in the game where oh he top decked this or oh man he drew this oh he had this the entire time like i have very rarely had someone come up to me and been like man my opponent just played circles around me and <laughs> i really learned a lot and it was a great experience you know his name is this guy like he's just really good or like uh, sometimes you get the like oh i just like blew it horrifically by making this awful play or whatever but i also never really hear like oh man i was super dead and then i peeled this card you know i feel like 
people just kind of like walk around with those thoughts in their head and they just like smile to themselves, but you never hear about them. I, I really wish I, I could hear more of that stuff. Yeah. Because that, that's also like positive, it would like bring up everybody else's mood. You're like, oh man, yeah, this guy was great. He was a nice guy. It was fun to play against. And magic's great. Life's great. I guess. Yeah, that's... Aren't you guys having fun? Isn't this awesome? Yeah. We should, we should like, you know, try and remember this, like this moment right now. Not not like, you know, 15 minutes ago when that guy came up and talked about being mana screwed or whatever. Yeah, screw that guy. I definitely think there's this like un unwritten stigma that people have where they feel like they, they can't just like admit that they screwed up or whatever like nobody's gonna make fun of you like we all blow games every single tournament every single match maybe whatever it happens and, and talking about it and trying to learn from it is a lot more productive than you know exhibiting selfish behavior right and it d depends what the person's goals are right it's just like do they want to save face and you know it's like oh what's your record i'm you know five and four or whatever and then they think that like people are going to make fun of them or maybe not to their face, but they're like going to think about like, man, this guy sucks or whatever. And they're just like, well, I just got mana screwed a bunch and my deck was great. And I made like, you know, a bunch of smart decisions and none of it mattered. And it's like, dude, no one cares. Yeah. You know, it's, it is okay. You can lose. That's fine. There can only be one winner out of 2,500 people or whatever. And it's, you know, not likely to be you. So calm down. Great points guys. So play testing then. Yeah. Testing tips from Andrew Brown. Oh, yeah. Just only the best. Something that uh, I, I really value is, um, you know, in your in your testing environment or when you're, like, playing with your friends, um, the overall goal should be to, like, enjoy yourselves. And you're, you're, you're playing Magic on your free time, so you should be having fun and you should be growing together. And there should be a general, like, positive sort of vibe coming from everybody. Because, you know, if, like, someone tries out a new deck, they get beat, they get really defeated, they're like, oh, man, this deck is the worst, oh, blah, 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 blah. It kind of brings everybody else down. It's kind of very similar to, like, the bad beat thing where you're exhibiting selfish behavior and it's not really benefiting anybody. So, Ooh, I have, I have a good one. Bring it. At least I think it's a good one. It is something that strikes me as being kind of profound, but I've had other people, like, poo-poo all over this idea. I feel like... Uh, with magic and basically any hobby, you really like people are just personally invested in it. And to the thing that you were saying, like, oh, this deck sucks, blah, 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 I can never win, blah, blah, blah. I, I've had that happen a decent amount where, uh, you know, someone plays a game with like a deck that someone else built or whatever, and they're just like, oh man, this mana base is terrible. I can't cast my spells. This matchup sucks. And instead of just being like, hey, how can we fix this and make this better? Like, what are the things that matter in this matchup or whatever? They're just like, this thing sucks, this thing sucks. Like, whoever built this deck sucks, basically. That's just like, I don't know, pretty pretty hurtful towards those people. And I think just like fosters a pretty bad environment, not just because of like the overall negativity, but it's like people, you know, put a lot of themselves into this game. And to just be like overly negative about something that like someone else created just like is, is really sad. Definitely agree so, with all that. There are definitely ways where you can approach it where it's just like, hey, you know, I played with this deck, it was fine, it had these issues, but you don't have to get, like, all heated about it and just be mono-negative because there are things that you can do that are constructive and things that you can do that are not very constructive, and I, I feel like just approaching it from a constructive point of view is just, A, the, the much better way to do things if you're just, like, trying to learn and get better and, you know, move forward with testing and stuff like that, but... B is just like more positive and doesn't hurt anyone's feelings and like yeah maybe logically people should not have like their their self-worth built into you know how good their deck performs or whatever but 
you can't necessarily control what people put their self-worth into. You know, it's just like it comes from a sense of identity and stuff. Yeah. And I, I, I just beat this to death. But like being positive, having an enjoying yourself while you're playing the game will make you better at the game. That is my firm belief. Well, that's why we play, right? Is because at times there are these flashes of positivity that just like keep us going and keep us around. Yeah. Yeah, it just really makes me sad when people are just like, oh, man, I hate this deck. I hate this tournament. Why did you even come? Well, exactly. Why did you even come, <laughs> right? We should definitely do but, yeah. a, a, an identity or self-worth episode in regards to magic because I do think it's pretty important and understated. I don't know, man. You'd have to talk about yourself. I know. In I fact, really would. In fact, Michael, can you, can you talk about yourself right now? I, wow. That's Michael, give, give me a personal story of when you have leveled up as, as a player. Perhaps as a person. Or perhaps both. Well, I, I, I've definitely found myself in situations where I thought my, or maybe I didn't like actively feel this, but it was reality where like my self-worth was tied into tournaments, which is why I do think it's something worth talking about and maybe expanding on, you know, later in the future in more than five or 10 minutes or whatever. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a slippery slope. And I do think when you can kind of be more objective and have a better attitude towards, you know, why you're doing something, why you're spending time and money on it, then you're going to be happier. And odds are you're probably going to perform better too. So kind of letting go and being less, I, I don't want to encourage people to be like not emotional about things or not be like, you know, personally invested, you know, in the sense of I want to perform well and do well and try really hard or whatever. But like when, you know, having being five Oh or being Oh two drop in a tournament shouldn't change your life or whatever. Yeah. But, uh, I want to hear. I want to hear a personal Michael Majors moment of I, I when did. this happened. I really like. I I went through a, a a time where if I like, I had certain tournaments that were very important to me, and if I did poorly in them, then it was, it was devastating. So that is. A did, did you ever have? Did you ever have like a series where, you know, you play in a tournament, you win the tournament, and it just keeps you even, um, or or did you actually like get a positive feeling from it? I don't know. I'm, I'm sure I have, but like. For whatever reason, I assume that tournament didn't really mean anything to me, and I didn't assume it was an accomplishment, which, okay. you know, you could dissect in whatever way you want as being unhealthy, I guess. But, like, that, that is an interesting question. So what about Grand Prix Atlanta Legacy? Well... Um, what about getting second? So that was the, the tournament where I'd kind of... Given up is a strong word, but I didn't really, like, consider myself to have a relationship with competitive magic anymore. You know, I, like, moto-drafted and, like, had fun or whatever, but I'd kind of like, for, for lack of a better phrase, the, the dream was dead. You know, I'd, I'd played on the Pro Tour once at that point, but like, you know, kind of just like PTQ'd and played like local Grand Prix and stuff. And I randomly got second. Um, and definitely losing in the finals was like pretty disappointing. There, there's actually a funny story where one of the dealers who I'm acquaintances with, I, I wouldn't say good friends with, you get you get a plaque back in the day for getting second place at the Grand Prix, and after I got out of the feature match area, you know, losing the finals, he comes up to me. He's like, "Well, how much for the plaque?" <laughs> <laughs> and like, I, I believe my answer was, "I don't want you to give me an, a number high enough for me to sell it to you." So that, you know, that that was definitely a, a cool moment of like you know validation that despite losing in the finals, which sucked, you know, I got to get back on the pro tour, and then that's basically why I'm here. You know, three and a half, four years later. Oh, God, I guess it's been almost five. That's kind of scary to think about. Yeah, um, that was almost five years ago. Yeah, but that uh, you know pretty much changed the trajectory of my life because now I'm playing Magic professionally. It's, it's how I make a living. It's why I live in Virginia, 10 miles away from Jerry Thompson, even though who knows what he thinks about me. 
things along those lines. So I'm an open book. Uh, so how, how did you feel at, at the end of that tournament though? Like, were, were you actually happy about that, about getting second or like, did it sting too much to actually be happy about it? Or, I mean, I know that your expectations going in were not exactly high, right? No, I mean, you know, zero basically. It's, it's weird. I guess, I guess it's like kind of a multi-step process because like, you know, you, I ended day one at like 801, I think. And so I was like, okay, this is cool. You know, but I'm, I'm not going to like, you know, I'd had good Grand Prix finishes before. And so I wasn't going to like, let that get to my head, I guess. And so yeah, I guess I don't a, celebrate. Yeah. I, I, had, I had a pretty good attitude towards it, honestly, you know, all things considered once I like made top eight, you know, I was like happy and like high five my friends. Like, this is cool. Like, you know, I get to go to the, or no, no, actually, I guess I didn't get to go to the pro tour yet. They hadn't made that change. You had to win the quarterfinals. Yeah, I was top four cues. Yeah, so, like, after I won the quarters, I was definitely happy, like, because I actually got to play on the Pro Tour, and that was, like, something that kind of eluded me. I I qualified when I was 14, I think, for the team-constructed tournament in Charleston, like, 2006, I think that was. And then I didn't play another Pro Tour for seven years. Yeah, I was definitely excited about that. And then it was, you know, it, it's kind of like a, a bell curve where I lost the finals and I was kind of upset about that in the moment. And then, you know, you wake up the next morning and it's like, Oh crap, I got second in a Grand Prix. This is awesome. That That's really cool. Though. The, the moment of uh, the dealer wanting to buy your plaque. I think that's, that's really awesome. Well, I don't know if awesome is the right word, but I, I'll definitely never forget it. I'll, I'll say awesome. It's, it's a funny story. Yeah. It's good to have those. Jerry, who, who who's next? Me, I guess. Go for it. Uh, so this is, I, I find that like most of my stories of growth, like there's no aha moment. It's just like over time, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I, I remember being a small child and being like, you know, oh, there are tournaments. I want to go to tournaments. So I start going to these things and then it's just like, oh man, like I just keep losing or whatever. I want to like get good enough to make top eight of these tournaments. And then I get good enough to make top eight and I top eight a few and I'm like, wait, why am I why do I keep losing in top eight? Like, why am I happy to only make top eight? Like, clearly I'm, I'm making top eight. So like, I'm probably good enough to win these things. So like, why, why should I settle for anything else? And then it was just like only first place mattered. And so then like the top eights would not make me happy anymore. So I found that my conversion rate past top eight was much higher after that. I, I think a lot of it is just like kind of celebrating. Like, you know, if I started like 2-0 or whatever, I would celebrate and then I would just immediately lose. Because it's just like, I think in my mind, I was just like, oh, you know, like this is, this has gone well so far. I'm, I'm pretty happy with the outcome, no matter what happens past year. And then I would just stop caring. Yeah. And it, it was basically like, I just had Thanksgiving dinner and, you know, my brain shut off or whatever. Nice, nice little callback to the eating during tournaments thing. I thought <laughs> crickets, tough crowd. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, there. I, I respect that. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I and now I actually like, especially once I got back from Wizards, I kind of found myself with like that same like little kid mentality. It was just like, all right, I know that I'm rusty as hell. I'm playing like garbage. Uh, I, I'd just be really happy to make top eight, you know. And then I, I kind of find myself in that same mentality where like my my goal is to make top eight of these tournaments. And like, sure enough, I've not won anything. That that is like a conscious thing. But I also see people like Chris Anderson. I think is a good example. He he was like really really good at like being 4-0 or 5-0 in ptqs and he'd just be like high-fiving his friends and stuff and it's like dude what the hell like this this is an eight round tournament or whatever and then sure enough he would just always o2 it eventually got to the point where he's like okay i'm not i'm not going to celebrate until i make top eight and then he would top eight high five his friends and he would just he had like 20 top eights or whatever without uh actually winning a ptq and, and then finally he flipped the switch and was just like oh, okay i'm only i'm only happy if i actually win and then he started winning them and i i don't think that that's a coincidence you know 
just like something in your mind shuts off. It's, it's interesting to use the word like, I'm not going to be happy unless I get this result though. Like, do you think that's well, really problematic? No, no, no. So it's, it's not about being happy. I, poor phrasing, I'm sure. I, I think a lot of it is just like when you choose to celebrate. Okay. Because like once you put yourself out of the tournament mindset, that's when it all starts going to hell, I think. Yeah, definitely agree with that. Yeah, you're, you're in the tournament until it's over, so you might as well just give it your all, and then two hours later you can relax. Yeah, and then and then digest like what happened and how you feel about it and stuff. But yeah, I, I think for me now, like I, I know that I'm good enough to win, and I should just only be focused on winning. But I'm still I'm still just happy to make top eight, man. I don't know what to say. Making top eight's pretty nice, though. It's not bad, but dude, when, like when I was playing like Hobbley and Delver and stuff, I was just like, my decks are insane. I'm great, like. You know, no one can beat me or whatever. And it was like, I was only happy if I won, and I won a lot. <laughs> I had a lot of trophies. Uh, and now I have significantly fewer trophies, so. Oh, they all, uh, you threw them all out, right? <laughs> well, I, I did do that, but I, I, I just mean, like, you know, e even since then. You said that has more to do with your reckless behavior than anything else. Uh, kind of, I don't know. Like, I, I find excuses here and there. It's like, oh, I'm moving, and, like, I would have to ship an extra box with these, and they'll probably get broken anyway, and. I don't have room for them in my car, so I'll just throw them away. Like, who cares? In hindsight, I should have, like, given them to one of my local stores or something. That would have been really cool. But blew it. Blew it. Andrew? So my level up story comes from my first pod at my first Pro Tour. Oh, you're such a baby. This is a Pro Tour Dragons of Tarkir. Round one, I had to play Gabriel Nassif. I won. And then I had to play against John Finkel in round two, and I won. And then uh, I played against a person who I had not known. I don't, I still like, don't even remember his name. And I got soundly crushed. It made me realize that like I had lost five like pro tour winning ins before actually qualifying. And uh, that like series of like me going through the pod made me realize that like, oh, I'm so glad that I lost all of those winning ins because I would not have been like prepared for like any of this if, if, if I had qualified back then I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have tested as much I wouldn't have like I would have taken it more for granted like oh yeah I can definitely like qualify for the pro tour but like after like the third and fourth time of like not like barely missing it I was like ah but you know after that pot I realized you know I'm glad I missed it definitely made me a better player it made me like know what it takes to like be at the top level but at the same time losing in the finals to that guy made me realize as well like I still have a lot to learn and like, you know, magic's just great big process that we should uh, always be learning from. And uh, yeah, that's my moment. Jai Geraldo Castaneda from Colombia. <laughs> what? That's his name. Did you, did you look that up? I just did. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well he, he beat me. That was it. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting, man. Cause I, I always found that like getting on the pro tour was pretty easy and certainly some of it was because of my drive and, uh, kind of the area I was in where, you know, like Nebraska was not necessarily a hotbed for like PTQ talents and a, a wide player base and stuff. So I always found a way to get on whenever I tried and then I would just get crushed. And I feel like it, I, I would have been better served like facing more adversity before I got to the pro tour. Because I like the first few were just like, oh, whatever, I'll just like do the same process and I'll be fine, right? And I just get annihilated and I'm just like, oh, well, that was a fluke. Like, let's just go back, just get annihilated again. And then yeah. eventually I learned. But yeah, it seems like you had enough hardship leading in that you're just like, you know, I have to bring my A game just at all times. Yeah, very. I'm very grateful to all my opponents 
who qualified and smashed me in, the, in, those, in those in those tournaments before that. Yeah, I love that, Andrew. Yes. How, how do you feel about the fact that uh, we we miss worlds? Do you think this is a, a good little tie-in that we can learn from our defeats? Um, well, you know, so in my first Pro Tour Top 8, I got swept. And in this one, I had one win. So, you know, we're, we're headed in the right direction overall. What about you? What was you? your goal of going into each Pro Tour? Was it to make the Top 8? No. Um, my goal going into Atlanta was uh, requalify. My goal going into uh, Sydney was go 12-4. and four. I guess I did that one, but yeah, I, you did do you did do that. You did you went exactly twelve and four. You just happened to get eight. Yeah, and I'm also pretty lucky for winning the tiebreakers. I mean, you, you had to play against good opponents, you know, but yep. just part of it. You you did not have an easy route, and therefore you got to play in the top eight and got a few extra thousand dollars. That was sweet. Okay, so uh, could could we do a game game? Uh, we are like really we, over time. We're here. way over. We're way over, but it's it's relevant. So Andrew and I are going to be at PAX. Yes. This weekend, Majors is going to be in Richmond. Andrew and I are going to be watching Worlds, hopefully trying to learn some stuff and basically just hanging out and having a good time. Uh, so if you see us, come say hi. Don't tell us a bad beat story. But uh, <laughs> uh, Michael, do you think that Andrew would rather have JC win Worlds or he meet his future wife at PAX? <laughs> this deep. Isn't it? I... It's such a weird question because they're like the way you phrase them, it, it feels like they're like mutually exclusive. So like essentially I have to try to read whether Andrew would like find lifelong happiness or like a really great thing happen to his friend. <laughs> Say that like he doesn't get to meet her because he's watching JC play on top four, you know, like that type of thing. Yeah, I mean, I understand and- life's full of just like crazy coincidences. This is like, even though it's like a bizarre question, it is feasible technically. I don't know, like meeting your your wife is like a big deal, man. Yeah, but maybe he can meet her like at PAX the next year or something. I don't know. <laughs> but maybe JC can win worlds next year. If he's fated to be with this girl, you know, like their their paths are gonna cross at some point, right? Like that's just how it works. I mean, I, mean, I, I certainly don't believe in soulmates, but that's a completely <laughs> different topic. <laughs> So, all right, here's what I'm gathering. So, under under Jerry's circumstances that eventually I will run into this girl again, then yes, I would like to rather CJC win, but you know, if if we're going from the Michael point of view where like there's no such thing as like the whole fate recrossing thing. You got one shot, yeah. one opportunity. There's no yeah. shame in your wife here if if that's the way. <laughs> I got to say it's pretty close, but uh if we're in Michael universe, I I will have to say meeting future wife. Okay. I also don't know how happy JC would be for winning Worlds because I, you know, I saw him immediately after he won the Pro Tour. I've seen him since. He does not seem like he's changed at all. I don't know how much it's changed his life or like, you know, whether it makes him happy on a daily basis or whatever. I have no idea. I just feel like he would win Worlds and then just like go back to work on Monday. No, he's a happy dude. Trust me. No, I, I know he's a happy dude. I just don't know if like, you know, how, how much has winning the Pro Tour increased his happiness. Quite a bit. He loves he loves traveling, and I love traveling with him. He's a lot of fun. Okay, great. All right, great. Well, maybe both will happen. Sure. I'll see if I can. I'll, I, are you dating someone right now? I don't even know. I will decline to uh, answer that question. Okay, I was going to offer a wingman for you, but whatever. Ooh, I'm down. Do you have any nice shirts? I see you in. Oh yeah. I see Wait. you in a lot of Star City shirts. 
why didn't you just say, no, I'm not seeing anyone if you're going to accept a wingman? It just makes you sound like a bad person. Yeah, kind of. Can we cut this? <laughs> nope, absolutely not. <laughs> this is staying in. <laughs> All right, that's game. <laughs> Dr. Cox, if I wasn't a black man, could I do this? That's game, all right? That's game.